Hello and welcome to the Parted Podcast. Today we're talking about a topic that I know you want to know about and that is what's the process of buying your first used big bike. We've already done a detailed breakdown on how you buy a brand new motorcycle from the showroom, how do you organize the finances and all of that. Today we're talking about something a lot more juicier because the prices in India are so much better for used big motorcycles that it's little difficult for me to imagine that you'd ignore the possibility of doing this. Obviously, in terms of a purchase, it's safer to buy it from the primary showroom than a used motorcycle. And we're going to walk you through what the pitfalls are and how you avoid them. This is going to be a two-part podcast episode. So we are going to break this down into two parts because this is a really long discussion. And not a lot of it is based on just my experience alone. Although I did purchase two used motorcycles, I called up the people who I used their help of to purchase those two motorcycles and they've contributed to the data. So I'm basing my information that I'm giving you on three gentlemen. Uh, Anand Dharmaraj, you already know, he works with Indy Motard. He's part of the school that Pardit is associated with. We teach people how to ride motorcycles better at the racetrack. It's not a race school. It's about how do you ride faster. That's the TWO school. Uh, so Anand helped me out with this story. I also called Zubin Punappa, who's, I think I've been working with him for 20 years straight. He's worked on practically everything I've ever owned at some level or the other. Uh, Zubin also participates in the used big bike market where he organizes sales for people, locates motorcycles for people and so forth, apart from service and all of that. He contributed to this. And obviously Joshua Crasto, long-standing friend of mine, again, deeply into motorcycles, ran a garage for a while, has been wrenching on his own for a long time and he's helped a lot of people out finding the motorcycles of their dreams. This is what they told me. This is how you put it together. And the first question, the most important one that you will have to answer is, is the motorcycle you're buying something from the gray market or something from uh, what we call Indian invoiced or motorcycles that were imported into the country by the manufacturer? The primary reason why these two are totally different from each other is because what was imported into the country by the manufacturer is usually completely legal and at least the legality of that motorcycle and therefore your ability to own it, etc. is free and clear. It's a very simple process. Comparatively speaking, gray market bikes, because of the nature of the business, they are usually partly legal and if they are fully legal, then you do have to do your checks so that you ensure that you are getting a motorcycle that was privately imported for whatever reason. But all the paperwork was done correctly, the customs duties, etc. Everything was paid for and there's nothing that makes that motorcycle less than legit because at the end of the day, you are going to be spending your own money on this motorcycle. I'm not going to go into the details about how do you finance a used motorcycle because for that, I would recommend you go back and see the new bike podcast because it's more or less the same process except the interest rates are higher because you're buying a used motorcycle compared to a new one. And for a lot of people, they just get away with using a personal loan or something like that to finance this purchase. In the case of used motorcycles, I would recommend that you try and get the cash together so you can just buy it outright. Don't try and finance it because it's quite a bit more expensive than financing a new motorcycle. Uh, so the costs sort of add up. And while we're talking about costs, remember what we said in the Big Bike Podcast, that's a crucial part of the background to your preparing to purchase a motorcycle, which is it's not important that you have the money to buy the motorcycle today. It is far more crucial that you have the money to keep this motorcycle on the road in the future, in the couple of years to come while you'll have this motorcycle in your garage. What we've broken down to is about a lakh a year is about, it's on the high side, but that's about how much money you need, including the insurance payments that you'll have to pay for the motorcycle every year. Uh, it includes one set of tires every year, roughly 30,000 rupees, assuming that you're going to ride this motorcycle a fair bit. Uh, the cost of service, one to two services a year, depending on your use pattern and plus sundry expenses uh, along the way. Uh, and remember, 
This is important because if you do happen to fall off the motorcycle and damage it in some way, uh, you will have to have the financial wherewithal to get it repaired and put it back on the road. If you're not in that situation yet, don't jump the gun, don't buy this bike. I've done this before where I bought my first big bike, a CB750, no idea how to handle the finances. And it was a really, really rotten experience for me. Uh, that motorcycle needed help so that it could be the motorcycle I wanted it to be. But once I bought it, I didn't have the money to go there at all. It was in my garage for I think a year or maybe a year and a half. Didn't get to ride it, was not very satisfied with it and ultimately it became a experience that I learned a lot from. I would not make the same mistakes again, but I know that my big bike first purchase, you know, the, the charm and the achievement of the dream and all of those feelings, they were ruined quite a bit by the fact that I just didn't have the money to fix that motorcycle and bring it up to the standard that I expect from our motorcycles today. So let's go right into it. We're going to deal primarily with the Indian motorcycles today. By Indian, I mean motorcycles that Yamaha, Suzuki, Kawasaki, Honda, Ducati, Aprilia, etc. officially import into the country. That's the motorcycle we're going to deal with today. In the second part, we deal with the slightly more, let's say, fluid situations, which is the gray market, uh, motorcycles that are privately important. How do you deal with that situation? And the, obviously, the first place to start is the paperwork. And the first important thing that you want to check is the registration of the motorcycle. Joshua Krasto told me that if the vehicle appears on Vahan and the full record is there on Vahan, you've already crossed a big hurdle because that means the motorcycle is legal. And he also said straight away that if the motorcycle doesn't appear for, on Vahan for any reason at all, if the registration is either not there or the details that they're telling you and the details on Vahan don't match, walk away. And walking away is a very important part of the process. Again, when I bought the Series 750, that was literally the first motorcycle I was shown and I ended up purchasing it and that was a bad idea. Take your time, shop around. There are many, many, many motorcycles on sale. It will feel sometimes like, oh, that is the motorcycle for me. But that's not a time to get emotional and carried away. That's a motorcycle to double down on being rational about it, being careful about it, checking off all the boxes on your checklist and then deciding that that indeed is the motorcycle you intend to purchase. Registration, it needs to be free and clear. If there is any hypothecation, etc., that needs to be dealt with, uh, which means if there is a current loan running on it, then the owner has to pay off that loan, etc., and give you a free and clear title, which you will use to transfer the motorcycle to yourself. In a lot of cases, you'll end up seeing a motorcycle where the chap who's selling you the motorcycle is not the original owner of the motorcycle. That can complicate the transfer process because in theory, as long as that person's name is on the registration, he is legally in the right to walk up to you and say, hey, that's my motorcycle and take it away from you. There's almost nothing you can do about it. To give you an example, the current set of motorcycles I own, I think are my 13th or 14th motorcycles in my entire career. And some of these motorcycles, the older four or five are still on my name. So in theory, if I were to register a case of a stolen motorcycle or something in the police station, those owners would be in a soup. Uh, there is delivery papers and all that stuff, but still it's a really complicated process. So you do want to ensure a, that the registration can be transferred easily and that as soon as it can be transferred, you do transfer the registration. Don't uh, do the usual thing, which is I just bought a bike. I'm going to keep it for two years. Let it be on the original owner's name uh, so that the registration card doesn't accumulate numbers of owners because honestly, it doesn't matter. As you'll see when we discuss this, the value drops are so significant that these kind of small considerations don't really make a big dent in what you're going to pay for the motorcycle or what you're going to get back for that motorcycle in a couple of years when you want to sell it and move on to something else. So the first thing we want to check is the registration is clear in the registration a couple of documents will come to the next thing you'll talk about is obviously insurance the scam in insurance usually is that if a motorcycle has been crashed and you've claimed the damage then you lose your no claims bonus a lot of the unscrupulous elements will basically move from one insurance company to the other so that they can continue to show a no claim bonus that 
is a scam which does mean that when you look at the insurance document look at the validity you do want to take one more step and see what the document says behind it so you want to do one more level of research into the insurance just to ensure that the motorcycle wasn't crashed again look a crashed motorcycle is not automatically a motorcycle you shouldn't buy if it's a minor low side tip off which left a five scratch worth of damage on it and they've repaired it honestly it's not a problem my street triple when i sold it was like that it didn't have any mechanical damage on it although i did break the front wheel because it actually hit a footpath curb stone straight on but there was no damage to it in that sense uh, similarly my ducati has fallen i think two or three times two times i think and again it's it's run straight it runs through there's no crisis but obviously if you look at my insurance claims there are two insurance claims in there so i'm not saying disqualify a motorcycle as soon as you realize it's been crashed but that means more checks have to be performed to ensure that the chassis is still aligned and all of those things are in place so registration is clear insurance should be clear the next thing you want to check are small things like pucs and stuff they are important because increasingly they are saying things like if you want to claim an insurance claim then the puc has to be valid and all of that stuff so having the puc documents set also completed is important if it's a much older motorcycle than this then there are other documents like the green tax and stuff that also play remember the green tax is important because once you lapse paying the green tax i think you have to pay it after 15 years and then to pay every 5 years once the green tax payment lapses then the penalties rack up quite fast and they're technically the seller's liability not yours as a buyer so you do want to ensure that the green tax documentation if it is applicable to the motorcycle you're purchasing is complete and paid and all of that stuff is closed the last document you want to think about if is the noc which is the no objection certificate which is usually issued when we move registrations of a motorcycle from one rto to another whether within the state or outside the state the thing about nocs is they are issued to specific people and to specific rtos they are not a general purpose document which means if an noc was issued for the motorcycle you're trying to buy it was an intent to sell it or transfer it to another person in another rto and now if the noc has been issued it technically means that your registration is currently invalid pending re-registration in the other rto I'm not sure about this but I would assume that during that period if you were to crash your motorcycle claiming the insurance would be a little bit more complicated than usual that's consideration one consideration two is this does mean that the original seller has to cancel the NOC so that you can continue the transfer process and that is one more step that has to be done on the seller side which is a little bit less in your control than the rest of the process so if there is an NOC issue you have to close that loop seller has to cancel that NOC hand over the closure of that to you and only then can you move forward with the registration the one red herring in all of this is let's say you go to a used bike dealer and he's trying to complete the sale with you and you never see the owner that's a little bit of a red flag because the owner is the guy who has the legal authority to sign up on the documentation the dealer does not have that legal authority so finally the day you sit down across the table and say okay i'm ready to pay you the money that day the seller the guy whose name is on the registration needs to be present and sign off on all the documentation Joshua Crust actually goes further and says try and get the motorcycle transferred to your name as fast as possible if it's possible to do it before the delivery actually take place that's also a good idea just to close the paperwork loop off so that you're sure that the motorcycle that you're buying is free clear legal and yours when we talk about dirt bikes in the second episode of this podcast we'll also talk about how to prove that the motorcycle is yours in the event where a motorcycle is not registrable in an RTO there are use cases where you might have a motorcycle that will head to a large farm where it will be off the road entirely or go to a race track only and if that is your intent these motorcycles don't technically need to be road registered and in that event how do you prove that the motorcycle is yours if the question is asked is a little bit of a discussion that you will have to perform the final document that you do want to see and we'll come to that in a minute is the actual invoice this invoice is what the manufacturer generates to ensure that all the paperwork 
of it arriving in the country etc has all been done this document will have the invoice number it will have the win number and the chassis number and this is your way to verify that the motorcycle was legally imported by the manufacturer into india there's a little bit of a scam in this and i'll talk about that in detail uh, when we close off the section on buying indian motorcycles now let's assume that you've completed all your paperwork and now you're clear that this is indeed the motorcycle that you want to purchase that starts with the process of verifying is the motorcycle physically okay is it mechanically okay should you be going ahead and buying the motorcycle this has obviously two sides mechanically okay means you can ride it and the price will be higher mechanically not okay is a question of what all needs to be fixed you might get a better deal out of it okay so people like zubin or anand or josh who are used to working on motorcycles for them a motorcycle that's not in perfect running order is not so much of a challenge because they're quite happy to work on their own motorcycles but if that's not your cup of tea then obviously you want a motorcycle that runs really well prices for motorcycles that run really well are higher motorcycles that are not running very well the prices are a little bit lower and you can make a little bit of money from that if that is to your taste how do you do this though in my case uh, when i bought the tono zubin was my go to person to ensure that the motorcycle was okay i didn't really have to do much because zubin carried that load for me and i say that that's a good idea for you also to find a reliable mechanic who can check the motorcycle out and certify it for you is a good idea because the way a mechanic looks at a motorcycle is very different from the way a rider looks at the motorcycle and you are trying to figure out if this is a motorcycle you'll be able to live with and for that the mechanic is better equipped to give you good data than you are i will break it down into a layman's process of evaluating a motorcycle but remember that the mechanic is invaluable in this process when i bought the r6 it was anand who did the checks on the motorcycle and told me that the 2003 r6 that i have the paperwork was completely legal and that the motorcycle was in super mechanical condition based on which the sale proceeded it was between friends i knew the guy who was selling the motorcycle to me etc etc but the fact that anand certified that yes the motorcycle was in great shape and it only needed tires and something else or the other was the seal that said confidently that i can pay this money and i will not end up with a lemon the mechanics who do this will usually charge you a little bit of money and i think it's only fair because they are bringing their abilities to your table and spending time with you i spoke to all three gentlemen anand josh and zubin all three say that roughly a half day of work is about 5000 bucks a full day of evaluating a motorcycle is 10000 bucks some of them are very very precise they will also actually open take a little bit of the engine oil out and look at the engine oil and see that all of those parts are okay you can sometimes suppress bearing noises by putting much much thicker oil than the recommended grade and when you discover that later then suddenly you have a much bigger problem on your hand than you anticipated so these are the small kind of things that the mechanics can really help you with i would say in any case if you are going to be a serious motorcyclist finding mechanics you can trust implicitly is a super super important part of the experience and if you have one of those guys on your side use him pay for his services and get him to certify your motorcycle it's better than you doing it by yourself and if you are capable of doing it by yourself i don't think there's anything that you waste by allowing them to corroborate your opinion and saying yes you are exactly right this is a great motorcycle to purchase i would always always use my mechanic friends help to get a motorcycle to ensure that i'm buying the right motorcycle in the right shape i would never ever try to do this by myself however this is your choice i would recommend it you decide how you want to play this the next thing is now you're standing in front of the motorcycle and now you need to check the motorcycle thoroughly what do you do anand's process is to start from the front of the motorcycle and go to the back of the motorcycle in one clean sweep we'll separate the consumables out into a small section and I'll, let's just deal with it up front consumables on the motorcycles from the front to the back are the brake pads they are the fuel obviously you can fuel the bike later so it's not really a big crisis uh, how old the battery is if it is 2 years old no matter what the state of the battery is you want to write off that as an expense that's coming to you because after 2 years when the battery fails becomes unpredictable i have heard of batteries that last 4 years also i have heard of batteries that fail at, in the first 
first month after the two years also. If the battery on the motorcycle is more than two years old, that's a write-off straight away. I would always say change the oil, change the oil filter straight away as soon as you get a motorcycle. It just resets the service process and you will begin from a fresh slate. Uh, check how old the fork oil is. That's another small expense and not a really expensive thing to do. But the process of changing fork oil is a little bit complicated. That's one full day in the garage more or less. Build that expense in. I would always do it. When I bought my Tono, I think it had only 2100 kilometers on it. But because it was a two-year-old motorcycle, we went straight and changed the fork oil. We changed the brake fluid. Not a big expense, but it dramatically transformed my confidence in riding that motorcycle hard, knowing that all my fluids were fresh. Uh, the other consumables obviously are brake pads. Check the front brake pad. Uh, if you don't know how to check the brake pad where, it's very easy. Look it up online. It's a visual check. You within two minutes tell whether the brake pad has life left or not. If there is not enough life left, you're going to have to change them. If the motorcycle is really old, the brake pads are really old. Even if the pad material is quite thick, you'll probably end up changing them. Brake pad prices vary, which is why this is a crucial part of doing it. So if you're buying a Kawasaki, you probably pay a lot for a brake pad. But if you're buying a Yamaha or a Suzuki, you may not pay a lot for a brake pad. So just figure out where the consumables are and build that into the cost that is coming to you once you acquire the motorcycle. Usually you'll want to lower the price depending on how much the consumable cost is. The tires are the most expensive usually of this. If the motorcycle is five years old but has tires that are five years old but look new, you are going to need new tires. Uh, but if the motorcycle is one, one and a half years old uh, and the tires don't look very worn out, you might be able to get say five, six thousand, ten thousand kilometers out of it before you have to replace tires. That's 30,000 rupees, it's not a small expense. So build that into the part of your purchase. Next comes the inspection of the motorcycle where we've assumed that we've already seen the tires. Uh, we'll come back to why the inspection of the tires is important at the test ride again. But first you check the rim for damage. Remember, India's roads are the, some of the best roads in the world in terms of quality and surfacing and therefore rim damage is not as uncommon as you think. So the fact that a rim is bent is not automatically something that I would disqualify a motorcycle for. Uh, it's a matter of whether it is leaking air or not. Uh, my Tuono and the Ducati both have dents on their rims that don't leak air, so I don't worry about it. So if I were to sell either of these two motorcycles tomorrow, I'd point them out to the guy who's trying to buy the motorcycle saying, hey, look, the rim is bent there. It doesn't seem to cause any problems riding the motorcycle. It's not leaking air, but visually you can see that the dent is there. I just want you to know that. Once you're done with the rims, you want to start looking at the fork tubes. And by tubes, I mean the stanchions, the silver part. We sometimes refer to it as the male part of the telescopic fork because it goes into the outer tube. The problem is if there is spitting, which is a surface infection of the metal or rust spots or whatever on that, that little imperfection is actually going past the dust seal and through the oil seal repeatedly as the suspension moves through its stroke, which usually means that it will cut the seal at some point and you'll have an oil leak. So the first thing you're looking for is, is the surface of the stanchion clean? It should be completely clean without any imperfections at all. Once you're doing this, also look for any signs of oil being on the stanchion. If it's an upside down fork and it leaks oil, you'll immediately see it. Uh, a clever seller will immediately wipe that down so you don't see any visible oil. The trick to that is uh, get to the other side of the motorcycle, take the handlebars in your hand and just pump the suspension a couple of times. If the fork oil seals are leaking, you'll immediately see the oil reappear on the stanchion. Again, not necessarily a problem if there are no imperfections, but that does mean the cost of oil seals is also coming to you shortly. Next, we go back to the handlebar and you just quickly sit on the motorcycle and check that the handlebar is not obviously severely bent or any of those things. It should feel straight. Uh, the easy way to tell that is both your arms, the elbow angles should be roughly the same, uh, if not exactly the same. So as you're holding the handlebar, it should feel like both the arms are bent at the same angle. While you're there, quickly give a glance to all the levers. The levers should not be bent in any way. Uh, the, all the levers tend to have balls at the end. The ball should be completely round in shape as well as unscuffed. I say the shape is important because Josh 
pointed out that in theory a small set of scratches can be buffed out and then repainted over but it's very hard to achieve the smooth spherical shape that came out of the mold when they were made and that's what you're looking for it's not just the fact that there are no scuffs it's also that the shapes are correct now what i forgot to mention is check at the bottom of the fork that's a place where damage occurs quite commonly in a crash and is really really hard to fix that damage as well as hide that damage if there was a severe crash and they change the forks itself obviously you won't know from the fork itself but if there is damage there then you can ask questions saying how is it that this is so scratched what happened to this motorcycle before whenever you're in doubt walk away from the motorcycle it's not worth it similarly the ends of the axles both front and rear can show damage if there's been a crash they are also kind of difficult to hide unless they decide to change the entire axle which is kind of rare now that you've done with the levers check the mirrors i am quite confident that most of the mirrors you'll see in india will have scuffs on it it's the nature of the business because if you're filtering through traffic uh, you do get close to other people and sometimes the mirrors will touch each other and that leaves a scuff behind so minor scuffing is okay major scuffing is usually the sign of a crash and if one side of the motorcycle has small scratches everywhere from the foot pegs at the ends of the handlebar uh, at the ends of the levers on the mirrors then you know that the motorcycle probably had a tip over on that side and maybe you want to investigate a little bit into that tip over and what happened to the motorcycle before you do sometimes the mistakes are genuine uh, in the case of my ducati when i fell off that bike in april 2017 it fell on the left side and i think it cracked one of the stays inside it's not a major structural part in any way but that crack slowly developed until at desmo service we discovered it was broken and that's where the rattle was coming from we welded it and we fixed it but as a conscientious person i would definitely inform the buyer that this has happened and that's there in the motorcycle it causes no functional defect but i don't know that a lot of people would do that automatically so you are looking for signs of crashes so that you can ask these questions and verify that yes there was a crash but the motorcycle was completely okay after that and there is no structural problem you're going to deal with next Once you're done with the handlebar area, step off the motorcycle, sit down, and look up at the bottom of the triple clamp. That's the plate that holds the forks together. What you're looking for is for the T plate to look like how it was manufactured. So there shouldn't be anything apart from dust there. Dust is normal because we generally don't clean under there. But there shouldn't be any welds. There shouldn't be any hammer marks or big scratches that tell you that something has happened in that area. The same thing is also applied to the top of the forks where the fork caps are if there's any major work that's been done or the fork tubes have had to be removed from the motorcycle they would have to undo the cap and they would have left marks behind some amount of marks on adjustable suspension as well as on the fork caps is okay because if i'm changing fork oil every year which is what i intend to do for the with the tono for example then obviously i will cause some amount of scratching to happen but there shouldn't be an exceptional amount of it it's just one more sign saying something happened to the bike that you need to investigate further into Next you head towards the back of the motorcycle uh, you quickly check the swing arm same thing as the T plate it should look like how it was manufactured no scratches welding etc etc it's a big structural part also look at the other side of the swing arm from the other side of the motorcycle so sit on the left side of the motorcycle and look through the motorcycle into the inside of the swing arm if there's any damage it should be visible if there is damage in structural parts like swing arms and all of that you want to be very very cautious about whether you want to proceed any further into the sale process or not while you're there check the rear rim also and once you're done that we'll have with two items which is what's happening under the seat and what's happening at the engine let's do the engine first for the engine you start right at the bottom uh, take a torch yeah you need a torch to evaluate the motorcycle uh, look at the bottom of the engine the bottom plate uh, if you have a low slung motorcycle like a harley davidson scratches on the engine case itself on the drain bolt which is usually the lowest part of the motorcycle and on the frame rails itself is not uncommon again 
it's because of our fantastic roads. Not necessarily a disqualifying parameter. But what you're looking for are welds, you're looking for seams, you're looking for cracks, and you're looking for any signs of M-seal and those kind of things. As soon as you see any of those things in the area, either you pay a very, very low amount of money knowing that that is going to be an expensive fix or you don't buy that motorcycle at all. If there's any part of this which is caked in oil or whatever, find something to scrape the oil away with and look underneath. You're not just looking to see what's happening underneath, you're looking for a source of that oil and you should be able to reach the conclusion that the only reason that oil is there is because it came off the tire off the road and got caked there. There should be no other reason for there to be any oil in the bottom of the engine area. Okay, next we look at the gaskets. So the gaskets are how you close all the side panels, how you close the head onto the engine. Uh, they basically compress and they give you a tight seal so that no fluids can leak in or out of the engine. And that's what should be happening. So when you shine a torch in the engine area, obviously easier to do on naked motorcycles. There should be no signs of any dust clinging to the gasket area specifically. Uh, we call it weeping or sweating, which is a little bit of oil that comes out and then attracts dust and it looks like a brown band that runs around these things. None of that should be happening. If the gaskets have been leaking and all of that, I would just suggest that find a better motorcycle. There's no reason for you to persist with the same. Primarily because we don't know why it is leaking and weeping and we don't know what we're going to find once we open the engine. Sometimes the weeping itself is not only because there's something wrong with the engine, it could be the fact that they opened the head or opened the side cases to do some work and put it back together. But again, when you're buying a used motorcycle, I don't know that this is a complication you want in your life. Finally, let's open the seat and look underneath because now we're looking at the wiring. What you're looking for is wiring that looks like how the manufacturer would have organized the underseat tray and how clean it is. Okay, if the motorcycle is sparkly clean, then usually the underseat area should also be quite clean. But if the motorcycle is sparkly clean and it's filthy under the seat, then the chances are they've spruced up the motorcycle to show it to you and that's one more question mark. The other thing you're looking for is chances that somebody has been messing with electrical wiring and therefore there's cuts or splices, electrical tape. The other place to see this is where the tank ends, uh, the headstock proceeds forward and the wiring usually runs through the headstock into the other electronics, which is the screen if it's got a dash uh, into the headlight area. You're looking for clean, organized, zip-tied wiring together rather than a mess of uh, electrical tape and all of this. Again, the older the motorcycle, the more of this splicing and electrical tape there is, the more chances that something will go wrong. Another reason for you to walk away from this motorcycle. So what you're looking for is a motorcycle as close to clean, stock, well-kept condition and these are how you do it. Joshua Craster has a very, very cool tip here saying, see when you're doing this, if the rear tail light rattles. The reason why he says this is because the tail light is the farthest away from the center of gravity of the motorcycle. So that's the longest lever arm. If the motorcycle has been abused, the chances are the tail light will start rattling. So usually tail lights are mounted quite strongly because they are in a slightly vulnerable position. But at the same time, if you've been hammering that motorcycle, uh, you will end up rattling your tail light and a rattly tail light is usually the sign of an abused motorcycle. So that's one more check to do before you certify that physically without starting the motorcycle, it looks okay. The mechanic will also look at the alignment of the body panels. They spot these things very, very quickly because they do this day in and day out. It's much harder for us to do it. But if there's been a crash and certain mount points are slightly twisted, the bodywork might move by an MM here or an MM there. You may not spot it, but they will. When you're inspecting bodywork, also remember broken plastic can be plastic welded together and then you can paint it over and then you put stickers on top. It can be really hard for you to spot these problems. But for mechanics, again, they do this daily, so it's not that hard for them to do, which is why it's crucial to have them along to give you at least a second opinion, if not the primary opinion on whether the motorcycle is good or not. Zubin, Josh and Anand all told me that when they are put in this situation, their ability that they bring to the table is to evaluate and to be able to coldly tell you rationally what they think of the motorcycle. Neither of the three of them will ever tell you that this is a good idea, you should go for it or not because that is still going to be your decision. That's the kind of mechanic you want on your side. 
Now that you've done the physical inspection of the cold motorcycle, it's time to start it up. Uh, I've got two sides of the story where people say, listen to how it starts up. And if it starts up nice and easy, then the signs are everything is okay. If it starts up slowly, then it's not. Uh, I would say there is one more layer of filtration there. Big engines, big twin cylinder engines usually take a little bit of more cranking to start. So it's not necessarily a starter issue or a battery issue. Whereas uh, Japanese force SSR start up very quickly. A very well-tuned carbureted motorcycle will start up even faster than that. So I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a great thing or a bad thing but sometimes a mechanic can glean information from this that as a lay person I wouldn't be able to so, but do listen to it there shouldn't be any weird noises at least how does it sound at idle again it's a complicated subject uh, an experienced mechanic will be able to make out information from those sounds that he's hearing lay persons not so much especially on large multi-cylinder engines but what you're wanting to do when you start up the motorcycle is two things one is give it a couple of revs not India bike week just a couple of revs to see that it revs cleanly up and down both that means basically the engine systems are running well and there shouldn't be any issue there. If there are issues, then either there'll be a misfiring or the revs won't climb cleanly or the revs won't fall cleanly. Sometimes it can be just the throttle tube is sticking because it's an old motorcycle, but you can figure that out very quickly. The other part of this is you want the motorcycle to heat up until the fans turn on so that if there's any issues with the coolant system, that will become obvious from that. So once the motorcycle heats up and the fan starts running, it shouldn't misbehave in any particular way, apart from the fact that the fans are on and you can see the temperature indication on the dash climbing, that's all that should happen. Finally, it's time to take the motorcycle for a test ride and what you're primarily trying to verify on the test ride is whether the chassis is in alignment or not. And you're trying to see that what happened when the engine was idling, it felt nice and easy and smooth and clean, that it continues to feel like that as you ride the motorcycle. It doesn't mean that you have to take the motorcycle to 600 kilometers an hour to verify that it still hits its top speed and all those things because remember, at the test ride stage, it's still somebody else's baby and it's not yours to mess with. What you want to verify are two things. One, get to about 30, 40 kmph and take your hands off the bars and the motorcycle should track true and straight. It shouldn't start pulling in one direction. If the chassis is misaligned, this pull will be uniformly in one direction. So it will pull steadily left or steadily right. If the motorcycle goes into a wobble though, naked motorcycles do it all the time where you let the handlebar go and it starts to shake like that. It's not necessarily a problem. You have to correlate it with the tire wear and figure out whether the wobble is coming from a problem with the motorcycle or is it just the fact that the worn out tire is causing the resonance that is causing this handlebar to vibrate like this. Again, an experienced mechanic will sort you out very, very quickly in all of these things. But don't proceed to the part of negotiating for the motorcycle's price until you've completed your checks and you're absolutely sure that this motorcycle is exactly the motorcycle that you wanted to buy. So that's the end of the first episode. This is how you look at a motorcycle and start the process of saying, is this a good motorcycle to buy or not and complete all your paperwork checks. This presumes that this motorcycle was imported into the country by the manufacturer, which is already a huge step up in terms of how legal it is. In the next episode, we'll talk about one scan that seems to be running in this, where sometimes the invoices are altered. So it looks like it was imported into India, but it's actually a gray market motorcycle. We'll talk about that in detail. We'll talk about gray market motorcycles in general in detail as well. And honestly, I can tell you right now, we don't recommend it. If the motorcycle is a gray market motorcycle, you probably don't want to go anywhere close to it because they're all illegal in some way or the other. It's very rare for a private import to be 100% legal. There are a few of those out there, no doubt about it. My R6 is an example, but there are very, very few of those. We'll talk about that in detail. We'll talk about what motorcycles generally make good deals, what kind of values to expect, how to start the process of searching for that motorcycle, and finally, what to do when you bring the motorcycle home. That's in the next episode of this podcast, which is how do you buy a used superbike? 
Thank you so much for watching. If you have questions, remember we actively respond to all our queries. Leave us a comment here on the podcast or DM us on at PowerDrift on Instagram. We will get back to you. Sometimes the answers can take time because we have to do a little bit of research before we can tell you a definitive clear answer. But we will always come back to you. My name is Shumi. Thank you so much for watching. Best of luck.